Whilst you're waiting for the next episode of Travel, Food and Booze, have a listen to an episode of our previous podcast, Our Lives in Italy. Welcome to the next episode of Our Lives in Italy podcast, where we talk to famous people who also love Italy as much as us. Today's guest is Jo Mackay, whose love of Italy caused her to change her career completely and start up her own holiday lettings business, bookingsforyou.com. So grab a drink, relax, and listen to us wax lyrical about all things Italian. Welcome to the next episode of our Lives in Italy podcast and our very special guest today is Joe Mackay. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good afternoon to you. Yeah. How are things over in England at the moment? Hot, I hear? It's hot, unusually hot, yes, but I think it's all going to break in the next 24 hours, so it's kind of making the most of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when you're finished with the storms, can you send some over here? It's touching 45 today, so it's... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's a bit hot and steamy. The air conditioning is getting a bit of a workout, but... <laughs> we're, we're typical Brit, and we're kind of 26 today, going, oh, it's too hot. So... <laughs> well, we, we could... We could, could 45. <laughs> we could say the typical British thing, going, oh, it's a different type of heater balls. That's the... Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have air con, so it's... Yeah, as soon as it gets vaguely hot here, we just can't cope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, brilliant. as I say, thanks again for joining me. So, talking about Italy then, okay, so we've, we've had a chat on Twitter, um, and I came across your tweet about you wanted people to do a, a guest blog on your blog for your business, and I sort of did a blog about Calabria, so we found we had a, a mutual love of Italy. But before we get on to that, sort of, what about as a child? Do you have any, any particular food memories from when you were a child? You know, for example, is there anything that you really hated when you were a child that perhaps you really love now, for example? Um, I don't know if I... The only things I really hated... I was one of these children that loved school dinners. I was always the unusual kid, so I've always loved food, with the exception of two school meals, and that was liver and bacon and steak and kidney pie. And to this day, I still can't eat steak and kidney pie, and I've still not tried liver Again, I'll have liver pate, I'll have liver in dishes, but I will not eat liver on its own because the memories are just too horrific. It used to be liver bacon and onions, and then you used to have mashed potato. But the problem is the mashed potato does not hide the taste of the liver. So, yeah. so that, that was kind of my bad kind of memory when I was a child. I suppose other food memories would be particular meals that my mother made mm. um, or my father made. My father probably started cooking when I was a teenager. Um, and he got into making curries, um, of all things, but he would take hours to make them. So I remember one evening, it took so long, we literally ate at 11 at night. And oh. we were starving, two teenagers. So I remember that. I remember my parents having dinner parties and the, the sound of kind of people enjoying food and the conversation over enjoying a meal. That has a, a special memory. Um, but yeah, but the horrible things would be the liver and the, the kidney, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can sort of understand that with school dinners. It's like anything that's sort of, you know, mass produced for a mass audience. Um, you know, people always say, you know, you have the, the, the smells and the taste of everything, so it takes you back to your childhood. Um, yeah, I'd agree with you definitely on the liver and bacon because, you know, <laughs> liver, liver, you've just either got to flash fry it or, you know, sort of treat it very yeah. kindly. But probably like at your school, ours was put on in November for the school dinners in February, for example. Exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So you could either eat it or use it to repair the road outside, for example, yes. perhaps. But 
think you've, you've had sort of there, sort of maybe a, a little bit of sort of food memories from when you were a child. But so is that when your love of food started, or was there anything that really sort of kick-started it in particular? I would say I've always enjoyed food, and I've always been more adventurous with food. Um, but as a child, we didn't used to eat out much. And actually, if I look back, um, probably it wasn't the most adventurous kind of meals that we ate as a family. It was probably kind of quite traditional. Um, and actually, my interest in cooking and creating meals probably came about more when I had children. And I suddenly had, strangely, when you suddenly have kids and you're really busy, but I suddenly had time because I stepped off the kind of career ladder um, and actually just enjoyed the time being at home and cooking and creating meals. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would probably say it was in my 20s that I really developed a love for cooking and cooking for other people. Um, so yeah, so always been adventurous, always enjoyed food and eating, but actually creating something myself probably came in my mid-20s. Okay, so you, you mentioned there about sort of you stepped off the career ladder. So what What's the background to your work life? Have you been in sort of the same type of business all your life or has it changed, for example? No, it's a complete different. So um, after university, I went straight to work for a company called Procter & Gamble mm -hmm. um, in sales and marketing. So sold anything from Pantene shampoo to Pampers nappies to aerial washing powder. It was very unglamorous, but really enjoyed it. Great company to work for, great training. Yeah. Um, and worked for them until I had um, children. Um, went, tried to go back and work for them part-time in between my two kids, but just didn't work out. It didn't give me the kind of work-life balance that I wanted. So um, then um, had kids, took a few years out, um, looking after the kids and then set up my own business which is in a completely different industry so it's bookings for you it's in travel and it's basically renting villas and apartments all across Italy so completely different sector but I would say that some of the skills I learned by working for a big global company I could reapply in a different sector um, but yeah bookings for you really gave me the opportunity to work from home to juggle work and the children which was what was really important to me. Mm, exactly. So, you know, obviously, after we had the chat on Twitter, obviously, I then found it, it said, big plug, bookingsforyou.com. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so obviously, you've got villas all over Italy. So why, why did you choose Italy as, as the first port of call for bookings for you? What made you fall in love with Italy? It was probably a bit by chance in some respects, in that as a child, I was probably a typical child of the 80s in that when I was at school, we learned French. It was always a French exchange you did. Um, there weren't the connections with Italy or learning Italian as I grew up. Um, and my husband and I were thinking that we should um, buy a property abroad as an investment. Um, so we were thinking, my initial thought was France because I can speak French and that mm -hmm. would make sense. Um, and then we had a holiday in Italy. We had a week on Lake Como and a week on Lake Maggiore. And I'd been to Italy before we'd had a holiday in Tuscany, which I loved because I love the kind of cities like Florence and Siena and all these cities you feel like you know before you've got there. But <laughs> it felt like a very different Italy to me, Maggiore. And it was Maggiore that I fell in love with um, most because it, it felt unspoiled. You didn't have the British tourists there then. You do more so now, but it was the part of the lake we were on was very quiet and just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, the people were just so warm and friendly. Italian food I love. Um, and yeah, we ended up buying a property on the lake 
um, which I rented out and which led to bookings for you eventually and renting other people's properties. So yeah, it was, it was really as a result of a family holiday. <laughs> okay. So what, what regions do you have properties in, in Italy then at the moment on bookings for you? So we started off in the Italian lakes cause that's where I bought a property in the region I knew and then expanded to a different region really each year initially. So we've got properties now in the Italian lakes, Tuscany, Umbria, Puglia, Marche, uh, Sicily. I think that's covered everything. Mm. Um, and our ultimate plan would be to have properties in every single region. So, you know, at some point we would love to have properties in Calabria as well um, and expand there because it's, we recognize people love Italy, but they don't necessarily want to go back to the same place. They want to explore other parts of the country. So um, yeah, we'd, we'd love to be able to have something everywhere for people to explore. Yeah, exactly. But it's, you know, each, each part of Italy has got its own unique character, as, as you know. It's you know, having had the, the, you know, living, sorry, having lived in Italy for five years now, we've had, experienced the north and experienced now the south bit. And they say that they are like chalk and cheese, just completely different. Um, not only just the people, the weather, we don't get winters down here. Yay! Um, although the summers could be a little less hot. Um, but, you know, obviously that the people, the character, the places, the food, the wine, it's all, you know, all completely different. So it's good. It would be good for people to experience the, the you know, the multifaceted sides of, of Italy, for example. So you said that you haven't got any properties in Calabria. What, what do you know about Calabria as a region? I would say not enough. So I've never had the chance to go to Calabria myself. So... I picture it as being this absolutely idyllic um, region with beautiful landscape, incredible beaches, um, and amazing food. Because it seems to me that the further south you go in Italy, the food just gets better and better, which I never imagined when I was in the north, because I thought it can't get better, but it just seems to get better and better the further south you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I have to say it's a region I can't wait to discover. And everything I read about it and hear about it, it just sounds fantastic. Yeah, because down here in Calabria, you know, it's when I was in the north and we said we were going to move down Calab to Calabria, the boss of the school that I worked for up there was like, oh, don't go down there. There'd be beasties down there. <laughs> it was like, well, can't be that bad. So we, we got the night train down for a quick visit to, to have a look around where we, uh, where we were going to work and instantly fell in love with it down here. You know, the, the town where we live, Melito de Porto Salvo, it's quite, quite small, but you know, within, a, within about two weeks, we were, you know, instantly accepted into the community. So, you know, it's, it's, I love being in a place where, where you feel like a local. Um, yeah. You know, we've got the family downstairs who their Labrador has, a, has adopted us. She's now, lying on the <laughs> She's now lying on the tower floor in our apartment trying to keep cool. Um, but does this Labrador get fed twice? Like, it has lunch from two people and then dinner from two people <laughs> um, but we're, we're the supplies of breakfast and treats and then she gets her dinner later on from downstairs <laughs> and the the owners are going she seems to be putting on weight and we're going is she we don't know about that but <laughs> but she, being a labrador she's got the labrador eyes she's she's just beautiful but but if if you do get the opportunity to visit calabria it's got the most beautiful beaches in Italy. You've got the region from just south of Lamezia Terme. So you've got Amante, uh, um, Tropea, 
Sheila, and then all the way around to Reggio Calabria. It's called the Violet Coast. Um, beaches are beautiful, the sea is beautiful. And then as you know, it's, it's obviously, with, as you know, it's within spitting distance of Sicily as well. So yeah. you know, there's a lot of UK people missing out on a great region in Italy. Yeah. It's sort and of- And the thing for holiday makers as well, actually it, it's a great option for those that, you know, don't want to travel in July, August as well, because actually you can have the lovely climate you know, in the winter, in the autumn, early spring. So it's somewhere I think that if you're still looking for some warmth when you holiday, but don't want to go in the summer, yeah, it's a, a brilliant option for that. Yeah, but as far as the um, the properties in Calabria, I'm still working on that for you. Still trying to because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's still slightly hibernating down here, seeing how the the recovery is yeah. going, and then I think they're they're going to maybe start coming out of hibernation. So what would you say then are your favourite places that you visited in Italy? You said that you started in the lakes, but um, yeah. is, is the one favourite or is it impossible to sort of narrow it down to one? It would probably be impossible because I'm one of these people that wherever I go to, it becomes my new favourite. So it's almost like the most recent place I've been to, I just fall in love with again and it seems to take precedence. I, th I think my heart... A bit of our heart will always be on Lake Maggiore because we've had so many family holidays there as the kids grew up and it has so many memories attached to it. Um, but I love the kind of the rural landscape of Umbria a lot and Spello in particular is a town. That's my favourite town probably in, in all of Italy. I just think it's, it's got a lovely feel to it and it's relatively unknown by tourists. Um, I also love the big cities. I love Florence. I think Florence makes the hairs on my legs and arms stand up. It just has something <laughs> about it. I think it's amazing. Um, and then I love, you know, further south I've been would be Puglia. And I think that's incredible because it just feels so different to anywhere else in Italy I've been to. So, mm. you know, each region, I think, because it is so unique, it's quite hard to compare between regions and between places um, yeah. because everything has something unique to offer yeah um, so, so yeah very hard to decide <laughs> yeah so you just mainly just end up with a sort of a top three of each region potentially then but <laughs> yeah yeah probably <laughs> but the more places I can go to and the more time I can spend there the happier I am basically so <laughs> exactly no I, I couldn't fault you on that one at all so what about coming to Italy I mean obviously because of you know the the horrors that everybody's faced over the last 18 months it probably hasn't been as often as you liked, but how often do you travel to Italy normally, if it was a, in inverted commas, normal year? So if it was a normal year, I would probably be there three times with work. Um, and when I go over with work, I tend, it tends to be quite intense. So I'll go for a few days, but I'll be going to view properties and I maybe see up to a dozen properties a day. Um, so it, it's really intense and long days. Um, but then probably holiday there twice a year as well, um, if we mm. can as a family. So I'm lucky that my husband loves Italy just as much as I do. Um, and the kids don't really get a choice whether they like it or not. They're coming with us. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say normally kind of, you know, up to half a dozen times a year, I'll kind of aim to be in Italy. Yeah. Like you said, the children don't have a choice. It's like, either you come with us or you're going into care. It's your choice. <laughs> <laughs> what about... So what about your favourite Italian foods then? You said you visited different places in Italy. So what would you sort of identify? Maybe, it's, okay, so let's, let's say then your favourite three Italian foods and your three favourite Italian drinks. Oh, goodness. I'm never good at doing favourites. You should realise this by now. 
Okay, let's just say favourites then. I think the thing with Italy is just any food is so good because they use just, it's all fresh and it's in season. So Mm. for me, the simplest thing will taste absolutely amazing and you have it in this country and it tastes rubbish. So just a simple bruschetta with some fresh tomatoes on top. It's incredible in Italy. You try Mm. and recreate that here and it's so hard to do because trying to find those tomatoes that taste as good. Mm. So... Yeah, some really simple dishes like that I love. Um, probably my favourite pasta would be um, probably a Sicilian dish, actually, which I only tried for the first time last year when I did manage to get to Italy once um, during the pandemic, which is spaghetti alla norma that mm. I absolutely loved. That probably became my new um, favourite pasta dish. Um, I like um, when we kind of first visited Italy up north, we used to have a lot of um, tagliata di manzo, and I really liked that. Again, just simple beef, bit of rocket, bit of oil, lemon juice, um, yeah. cheese, and that to me is, is heaven. But yeah, very, very hard for me to, to do a top three. I, I love trying new Italian dishes, and yeah, I think it's great food. Um, in terms of drink, I've always been a girl that loves a bit of sparkle and a bit of bubbles. So Prosecco will always be my favorite tipple. So. <laughs> yeah, I, think I, I discovered when actually, when I went to Lake Como for the first time, I discovered Negronis and, ah. and I fell dangerously in love with Negronis. <laughs> um, I've, I've tended to back off them when I woke up the next morning with, with a screaming hangover from hell. Um, <laughs> it's, it, I think it's the, you know, one of the only two hangovers that I've had that's lasted more than two days, but it's just... <laughs> But they are dangerously addictive. Um, but yeah, Negronis, uh, Amaros as well. The Amaros down here in Calabria and Sicily are just just fantastic. So all sort of the licorice and the bergamo and stuff like that. Those are fantastic. So I've, I've grown addicted. Yeah, I've grown <laughs> addicted addicted to them definitely. But yes, you know the wine da- the wine down here is fantastic as well. Yeah. The other thing that seems to be coming to the UK a bit this summer is a, instead of an Aperol spritz, a limoncello spritz, which I don't know if it's something that was created by the Italians or we've just taken your limoncello and added something to it. But that's, I had one of those for the first time a few days ago and that's nice. Very mm. refreshing. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's partly sort of maybe a backlash from the Italians after Boris said that he's going to put tax on Prosecco when the Italians, <laughs> were, th- when the Italians were threatening about Brexit. Um, they kind of do have limon, a kind of limoncello spritz down here, but it's more sort of a liqueur rather than the actual limoncello yeah. itself. So, so it's sort of an adaptation of maybe what they do drink over here. You said obviously very busy life, sort of self-employed businesswoman, husband, children. Um, you probably spend a lot of time cooking in the kitchen, but if you could pick your ideal meal, for you to have when you go out on a night time, what would that be? Money's no um, object. Money's no object. Um, hmm, very hard again. Um, I'm, I'm, my taste buds have changed. If you'd asked me that five years ago, I'd probably always have said steak and red meat. But now I'm much more actually fish and a nice um, bit of fish, fillet of fish um, with some kind of very light sauce um and some veg that would be perfect for me i like kind of asian influences on food so mm. i kind of like um a bit of kind of japanese style food and oriental dishes um but yeah we, i mean when i cook at home it's a complete mix of of stars which i think is 
quite common now in the UK. We we don't have enough kind of traditional British food to kind of draw on. So we draw on so many kind of cultures and, and food. So yeah. quite a varied diet, I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my wife, who's who's the yeah, an infinitely better cook than I am, um, you know, she sort of cooks all different sort of kinds of foods. So we have a different style of food every night. We, we introduced the family downstairs to the, the concept of a normal British Christmas dinner um, <laughs> last year. Um, because they invited us down for <clears throat> Christmas Eve for the, the festival of the seven fishes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we did that, and then we, we reciprocated with a traditional British Christmas meal. Um, but, you know, they sort of looked at it a little bit suspiciously to start off with, <laughs> but, but I think they, they kind of liked it, which was quite good. Because um, Turkey, right. Turkey, Turkey's not a huge thing down here. No. Because we had to... Um, we had to order in a turkey for one of our Christmas meals. And I made the stupid mistake of mixing up pounds and kilograms. <laughs> so my wife told me to go and get an eight pound turkey from the butchers and I ended up getting an eight kilogram turkey. <laughs> so when I went down on Christmas, two days before Christmas day to get it, they suddenly produced this thing that looked like it was a plucked pterodactyl from the back of the freezer. <laughs> Um, I sort of came back into the apartment and said, darling, I think I may have made a huge mistake. (laughs) So so it was, yeah, it was, it was that huge. We had to actually, you know, my wife had to chop the legs and the wings off before it would even marginally fit into the oven to be cooked as well. Had, had turkey up until March, I think, but. I can imagine this turkey being force-fed. We need a bigger. We need a bigger. <laughs> it basically being pulled by the wings. It was. Yeah, it just looked at it. Just came out and was like da da. And all, <laughs> all the nonnas in the butcher was going, "Oh, brava, brava, brava!" It's like, okay. But anyway. Oh, so you said that you enjoyed cooking. Then, so what foods or ingredients could you not be without in the kitchen? What would fill you in terror if you couldn't find them in the kitchen when you went to prepare dinner? <laughs> fill me with terror. Um, eggs, I think. I've got to always have eggs in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've got a pantry and I've always got to have everything just so in my pantry. Everything's got to be labels at the front so I can see everything. And, and just things like little sauces like soy sauce, which sauce. I've always got to know I've got all these kind of things um, in plentiful supply. Um, tin tomatoes, all those kind of basics, and your um, tin kind of beans and stuff. All that's got to be there. So yeah, I, it's very. My husband always laughs at me because he said, <laughs> if there was a disaster, um, you know, we couldn't go shopping. He reckons we'd have about six, eight weeks worth of food because our pantry's always <laughs> so well stocked. <laughs> I said, yeah, you might have some really weird meals, but we probably could <laughs> manage for that long because I've always got to have loads of everything. <laughs> so yes. So your pantry looks like one of these, looks like the, um, like, for example, when on the American TV programs, these people that are planning for Armageddon, for example. Yeah, it's a bit like that, but it looks beautiful as well. It's all beautifully laid out, even though it is Armageddon planning. <laughs> so what about, what about gadgets in the kitchen then? Are you a big gadget person or not really? I do like my gadgets. So the best kind of two gadgets I've got would be my ice cream maker and my bread machine. Those mm. I couldn't do without particularly during lockdown, the bread machine was amazing. Um, literally just put it on and either to make the loaf, 
you know, all done or just to make the dough and then, you know, using that dough to kind of prove in the oven. That I couldn't be without. And my ice cream machine, I love gelato. So to be able to make good quality ice cream at home is perfect. And then my other gadget is a bit of a weird one, but we've had, um, because we kind of love food so much, a couple of times we've invited um, chefs over from Italy and we've done events here in the UK, um, okay. invited bloggers and journalists and we've had kind of chef cooking up a meal. Um, and the other gadget was something I'd only ever seen um, when he brought it over from Italy. And it was a, it's called a microplane and probably you know what it is, but I didn't even know what it, I hadn't seen one. It's just a, to- a type of grater, mm. but it's just this brilliant grater um, for kind of cheese and stuff. So that I, I couldn't be without. Yeah. Um, this lemon squeezer, because I'd always squeeze like this, and then they have this different type of lemon squeezer, and I was like, oh my god, that's amazing! So straight away, I was ordering that online. Going, <laughs> yeah, but I'm a sucker for a gadget in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get things like mushroom brushes and things like that. You know, sort of why people get those, I've got no idea. Yeah, I haven't gone that far. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, as my wife would testify, I'm a bit of a gadget freak. But yeah, microplane graters, fantastic. Because it's they don't get clogged up like the other graters. They, exactly. They, yeah. So again, sort of another fantastic invention. I mean, we did in the north of Italy have bread machines and we had a gelato maker as well. But then we just realised, along with the pasta maker, we just realised that we we can never make them as well as an Italian person. So what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. yeah when you're in Italy, you really don't need a gelato machine or a pasta maker. You yeah. just go and buy it. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, an ex, there's an expert for everything down the road. Just let them get on with it and buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we're, we're sort of coming fingers crossed, you know, over, over the edge of, of, of the pandemic and hopefully everything is going to start getting better. What's your plans for the year and sort of for the immediate future then, Joe? Um, I mean, on a personal note, we would we had hoped to get to Italy um, this summer for a family holiday. Unfortunately, we've cancelled that, um, and we're going to holiday in Scotland instead, which isn't quite the same, but will be lovely. Um, mm-hmm. If the weather holds out like this, then it'll be fantastic. Um, so I'm hoping to get to Italy with work a bit later in the year, um, hopefully in the autumn time. Um, we've managed to adapt work-wise. So whereas normally I would be over in Italy viewing properties, um, any new properties that come on board, we've been doing Zoom calls and video calls as they've kind of taken me around the property. So we've we've coped and we've adapted, but um, I'd love to get over there and see the teams that um, work with us and to kind of view properties in person. So yeah, we've coped and we've adapted, but I'd love to get back. Um, from a business point of view, we're taking on new properties all the time. And um, at the end of every year, we kind of look to see which properties have worked, which haven't, and we you know, change what's within our portfolio. So we'll be doing that. Um, we're lucky that we've got guests coming back. So we've got guests, lots of guests at the moment in Italy. So our July, August will be very much kind of looking after them and making sure they're having a great time. Um, I had hoped that this season might last a bit longer, given we didn't have a strong start with the spring travel not being possible, but with kind of cases rising, I I don't know whether that will happen. And actually it might be a short season and by the end of August, that might be it, but who knows? So hopefully we'll be still welcoming guests in September, October, but we'll wait and see. (laughs) At the moment I've just learned that nothing is assured and just to take one day at a time, really. Yeah, it's sort of a movable feast at the moment. But as you said earlier on though, hopefully that people realise that once you get sort of south of Rome it's the, the winters don't last as long and as you said you can have 
holiday sort of September, October, November, sometimes even December for a short break as well. So it's not just the summer holidays that you, you can come to Italy. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Joe. Hopefully that the weather holds out a little bit more for you. And fingers crossed you don't need fingers crossed you don't need your thermals for Scotland. Touch <laughs> <laughs> wood. Okay. Thank you very much for your time today, Joe. Have a good have a good weekend and have a good afternoon. And you. Thanks to Joe for being a wonderful guest. If you're looking to book a holiday in Italy, don't forget to look at bookingsview.com, some fabulous places to stay. Our next guest in two weeks' time is Miranda Gore Brown, a finalist in the first series of Great British Bake Off. If you like what you've listened to, please review, comment, and maybe rate us five stars to spread the word. Please also subscribe so you get your next podcast the minute it comes out. Allora dopo!